Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. In our last episode, I shared with you a bit of my organizational background, how I went from disorganized procrastinator to proactive organizer after a few hard knocks. I hope you will agree now that organization doesn't have to come naturally, but rather can be learned and practiced. I also introduced you to a system that I developed about a decade ago and have leaned on ever since to keep my computer's hard drive organized as I have added hundreds, if not thousands, of source documents to it as I went about my genealogy research. And even now, I can retrieve exactly the document that I need quickly and easily, and you will be able to do that as well. In this episode, I'm going to pick up where we left off at the genealogy folder on our C drive. So fire up your computer and rev up that mouse because we have some organizing to do. Episode 32 lit up my email box, that is for sure. (laughs) Just as I suspected, I am not the only genealogist who has struggled with organization. When Sherry in California got the most recent Genealogy Gems newsletter and the photograph of the woman just buried in stuff on her desk, um, she wrote in to say, Wow, Lisa, I didn't know you had taken a photo of my desk. (laughs) And John Mascari wrote, Hi, Lisa. I have tried to have patience. Then I received your Genealogy Gems email advertising hard drive organization part one. I thought maybe part two was out early, but no such luck. I just can't wait for the Family History Genealogy Made Easy episode 33. Immediately after I heard episode 32 last Friday morning, I needed the continuation. What a cliffhanger. Is there any possibility of getting a sneak peek at your file organization outline? If not, I will try to get through the rest of the week. I'm worried that I'm turning into a family history genealogy made easy junkie. (laughs) Hopefully episode 33 is not late on Friday because I'm going to go visit my parents in Florida and I don't think I can wait until I get back. I think I suggested file organization in one of my earlier emails for a contest to win Roots Magic software. I hope you also talk about suggestions for filing the paper, photos, and many other things also. I know there are several methods to consider, and I think a lot of people just have big, unorganized piles. As always, keep up the great work. Well, John, thank you so much for writing, and here it is, episode 33. It's on time and ready to fill in where episode 32 left off. And yes, indeed, we will be talking about organizing all those papers and photos and miscellaneous items that we collect as we're doing our research, and we're going to be doing that in some future episodes. But today, it's back to our computer's hard drive. So if you're at your computer, go ahead and open up Windows Explorer. Uh, If not, if you're out there walking or jogging or whatever, uh, listen through the the process we're going to talk about, and then you can hit the computer when you get home. 
And as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm going to talk in terms of using Windows on a PC, but this system can just as easily be set up on a Mac using the Finder or on a PC with Vista using the computer icon on your desktop. Now, using your mouse, you need to navigate your way back to your C drive. And if you don't see it right away, when you do open up Windows Explorer, look for the word computer and click on that and it should show you the C drive. Within the C drive, you should see the genealogy folder that we created. So double click on that. And then within the genealogy folder, you will have a folder for your family tree. And those of you who are also researching your spouse's family may have created another folder for their family tree. So I have Lisa's tree and I have Bill's tree, my husband's family tree. And right now I'm going to set up files for my family tree. So I will double click on the folder I created called Lisa's tree. So now everything within Lisa's tree folder is going to be pertaining to my family tree, obviously. Now, why did I bother to create a genealogy folder rather than just going straight to creating a Lisa's tree and a Bill's tree? Well, over time, I've collected a lot of general genealogy information and documents, as well as lots of non-genealogy files. Imagine that, doing something besides genealogy. (laughs) And we want this system to accommodate everything now and in the future. So the genealogy folder keeps everything having to do with genealogy research separate from the other files and folders on your C drive. So no matter how many other non-genealogy related folders you create on your C drive, you will have everything having to do with genealogy in that one folder separate from the rest. And as time goes on, I fully expect that I may end up doing some research on, say, a future son-in-law. And so in addition to Lisa's tree and Bill's tree inside that genealogy folder, I may have a couple of folders for the trees of my son-in-laws. I have one son-in-law now, and I have two more daughters yet to get married. So again, I like that the system can grow as my research grows without jumbling up what I have already saved to my hard drive. And as I mentioned last week, there are a number of general genealogy folders that you can create inside your genealogy folder that are not specifically related to any particular family tree. And so that genealogy folder allows you to add those folders in the future, as well as, again, keeping them under the genealogy umbrella and separate from the rest of the files on your computer. And it also keeps each tree's files separate as well. But today, again, we're going to concentrate on your research documents for your tree. So I'm going to click on the Lisa's tree folder, and you can click on your tree folder to open it as well. This system is going to be based on the surnames in your family tree. Now, I know that you have a lot of surnames, but folders are free. So you don't have to worry about how many folders that you make. I currently have about 32 surname folders on my computer. But of course, I have more than 32 names in my database. So I'll be talking more about that. But for right now, you're just going to want to start creating a folder for each surname. Just start by creating about a dozen of the surnames that you tend to spend the most time on. These are probably grandparents and other direct ancestors. But don't worry about creating a folder for every surname right now. 
down the road when you find a surname that you don't have a folder for, you can just create the folder right then and there and add it to your system. So I'm going to create several surname folders. I have Burkett, Herring, Hulse, Moore, Paulus, Nikolowski, Sparowski, and Wolf. Of course, you want to make sure that you click on the folder that you want to put these folders inside of before you get started. So I clicked on my Leases Tree folder, and then I did went up to File, selected New, and selected Folder, and then I named the new folder, Sparowski, Nikolowski, whatever the surname is. And then again, by making sure I'm still clicked on the Leases Tree folder and not one of the new ones I just created, I just make my next folder, and so on. Now, click on one of the surname folders, now that you've got maybe a half a dozen to a dozen. Uh, click on one that you want to work on, that you know that you have digital records for. And in my case, I'm going to click on the Burkett folder. And now we're going to create folders for each one of the major categories of records that you may come across. And there's really two ways you can approach this. You can create all the major categories now or you can create the folder when you need it as you locate records. I really prefer creating them as I go um, for a couple of different reasons. One, it, it keeps me actively thinking about managing my files and my folders properly, and it keeps me really familiar with the system if I do it as I go. Rather than creating a ton of folders right now, doing a whole bunch of research, and then later down the road realizing I need another folder, but i you know, forgotten how I was creating these things. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's like anything else. If you do it on a regular basis, you get really good at it, it becomes second nature. Secondly, I really want to get busy doing genealogical research, don't you? And the idea here is not to get so wrapped up preparing that you never actually get any research done. So I set up what I needed to get started. And then I just add to my file system as I gather new records that need filing. That way, you can kind of get going. Again, I want to emphasize, the file system should work for you, no matter what it is that you use. The point is not to slave over a file system and never get around to researching. And I know that some organizational systems can keep you so occupied in the setup, it can become a convenient reason never to get started. And that's not the case with this system. So I've made a half a dozen surname folders here, as I said, uh, for the ones that I work on the most. And now I'm going to set up those folders for the different types of records in the Burkett surname folder. And again, we're going to have file folders within Burkett for all the different kinds of records that I have. So I've made a half a dozen surname folders for the surnames that I work on most, and now I'm going to set up folders in the Burkett surname folder for all these different kinds of records that I have. And since I've got a lot of Burkett research, I know that I'm going to need all of these types of folders right off the bat. And these folders really follow along with so many of the topics that we've covered here on the podcast. Um, some examples are births, deaths, census, marriages, land, military, newspapers, occupations, and wills and estates. So right there, I have nine folders inside the Burkett folder, one with each of those labels. And don't worry, I know it seems like there are lots of folders, but again, they don't cost a thing. So we can make as many folders as we want. And also, once they're created, you don't have to make them again. 
And you're going to be using these folders over and over. So now that the initial briquette folders are set up, and I say initial because I'm going to be adding more as I do my research and I find new types of records that are going to need new folders. So now I'm going to set up the same nine folders in the other surname folders that I created. Now, once you have these initial record folders created within each of your surname folders, it's time to get started filing your records. So let's say that I locate a census record for Russell Burkett in 1920. The records website that I found it on typically will give me an option to save the image of that page in the census to my computer. When I click on the Save button, it opens a save window, and that's where I'm going to navigate my way to Lisa's tree, the Burkett folder, since that's the surname, and I'm going to select the Census folder. I like to rename the image during that save process. At a minimum, I will name it with the year, the family, and the location. So, for example, I might name this record 1920 Russell Burkett, Springfield, Ohio. That's pretty much what I need to know to spot that particular census record that I'm looking for within the Burkett census folder. Now, there's another option for naming your files as well. This will depend a bit on the genealogy database software program that you're using. In my case, when I create a source in my database and I attach it to a fact, the software program actually assigns the source a unique source number. So when I located the census record, before I even saved it, to my computer, I went into my database and I entered all the data that I pulled out from the record and I documented the source. My database then assigns that source a number. For example, it assigned it, say, source 721. Then my final step is to go back to the image and now that I'm all done documenting it into my database program, I'm going to save it to my hard drive filing the digital census record in the appropriate file folder. And when I name it, I start the name with source 721, then 1920, Russell, Springfield, Ohio. I didn't even include Burkett because it is being filed within the Burkett file folder. And I used Russell because Russell is the name of the head of the household for that particular family. Doing it this way takes a bit more time, but it does offer some advantages. The first advantage is that in a pinch, when you want to locate a record, you can just type source and the record number that's in your database in the Windows Explorer search box, and chances are that record's going to pop right back up. The second advantage is that this process ensures that you're entering the source in your database as soon as you find it. Now, if you've listened to episodes 20 and 23 that were all about the genealogical proof standard and the importance of source citation, then you know how important it is to have your sources for your data. Otherwise, you have no proof that it's accurate and it's true. Certainly, this file system will go a long way to helping you easily retrieve your digital source documents, but it's even better if you can coordinate each file's name with your database. And using the assigned source number in the name of your file document will do that for you. 
But it's okay if you don't have a source number in your database or if you decide not to use the numbers in the names of your file documents. The most important thing is that you file the record in the proper folder as soon as you find it and that you always use the same premise for creating your folders. So if you have a bunch of digital records sitting in a folder or on your C drive or even on your computer's desktop, now's the time to file them in their appropriate folders, all the folders that you've created. File them all now and you'll very quickly get the knack of where things go. If you come across a record type that we haven't created a file folder for yet, go ahead and create it. But just be sure that it doesn't fall under one of the other categories first. Now, one type of record that you very likely have that we don't currently have a folder for, well, we don't have one for maps or historic postcards or county histories. All of these pertain to the location of your ancestors. You can create a folder for each type, say a map folder and a historic postcard folder, but that would be kind of like creating a World War I folder and a World War II folder rather than simply creating a military folder, which is what we did. Keep it simple and stick with the major headings. So in this case, I really strongly recommend creating a locations folder. And all of these documents will be able to neatly fit inside of that. So inside the locations folder, you would then create folders for each major location where ancestors with that particular surname would have lived. So for example, I have Burkett ancestors who lived in Ohio, Indiana, and California. So I created those three folders inside the locations folder that's inside the Burkett folder, okay? Now, if I had lots of location records for several different counties, I might create county folders. But in this case, they pretty much kind of stayed in one place. So I file all the maps, the postcards, the county histories, and other information that's all about Ohio in the Ohio folder. And the same goes for Indiana and California. Down the road, if it turns out you really have a large number of documents or you start finding relatives in other counties, you can always create county folders or more detailed uh, record folders and then file the documents accordingly, still staying inside the overall location folder. Now, let's stop right here because I think I am reading your mind. You're wondering, well, what about all the photographs, Lisa? I have lots of photographs of military service and homes and all kinds of things that cross all of these headings. Well, no problem. I got you covered. You know, I love bringing these genealogical gems to you that help boost your research and build a strong family tree. And it's important to me to always have free podcasts available so that everyone can participate. If you enjoy these free shows and you would like to help me cover the costs of bringing them to you each week, there's a really easy way to do that that won't cost you a thing. By coming to my website at whenever you need to do some shopping online and accessing your favorite stores and websites through the links that you find on my site, you financially support the show. The price you pay is exactly the same, but Genealogy Gems receives a small percentage for referring you. It's just that simple. 
Amazon is one of my all-time favorite places to shop online. They have just about everything and at incredibly competitive prices. So next time you're looking for books, DVDs, software, electronics, apparel, pretty much anything at all, head to genealogygems.tv and click the Amazon ad that you find on the homepage or throughout the website. And these free podcasts will benefit by any shopping that you do. And you will get the same super low prices. Everybody wins. So if you enjoyed the Genealogy Gems podcast and the Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast, let your mouse do the shopping through the ads and links on the Genealogy Gems website. And together, we'll keep new episodes coming for a long time to come. I've given this a lot of thought over the years, and I have found what works best for me is not to include photographs in any of these file folders. These are genealogical records files, and records are not the same as photographs. So in Windows Explorer, navigate your way back up the folder chain all the way up to your genealogy folder, which is on your uh, C drive. Now, Inside the genealogy folder, because these photographs are part of your genealogical research, you're now going to create a folder called Photos. Inside that Photos folder, I would create two folders, Lisa's family and Bill's family, and you can do the same. I would then click on Lisa's family folder to open it, and again, I'm going to create a folder for each family surname that I have photographs for. So let's use Burkett as our example again. Inside my Burkett folder, in the photographs folder, I have three folders because I have three different major Burkett families that I have photographs for. Each folder is one single family. So my three folders are, I have my grandparents, Charles and Alfreda Burkett. So I have the Charles and Alfreda Burkett family folder. I have my great-grandparents, so that's the Charles and Ellen Burkett family. And then I have my great-great-grandfather, Conover and Viola Burkett family. Those are my three folders so far in the Burkett family folder. Things can get very confusing very quickly with marriages and maiden names and all that stuff. But this system addresses that in a way that's really easy to remember because this system is based on how the census works. Census records are filed by head of household, and that's what I do for photographs. I usually include the husband and wife's name in my folder name because, you know, sometimes sons are named after fathers, and like I have two Charles Burkett's, right? So including the spouse name makes it very clear which family unit I'm talking about. And also, there can be second marriages. So you've got a folder for the ancestor and their first spouse, and then you would create that a folder for that same ancestor and their second spouse. Again, all under the same surname folder. Each photograph is filed in the appropriate family folder. But now you're probably thinking, hey, you're not married your entire life, right? You're going to be in different places. And a woman's name changes when she marries. Well, this system can handle that. Again, it's modeled after the census. Any photographs that I have of my grandfather, Charles Burkett, before his marriage are not filed under Charles and Alfreda Burkett. They are filed under Charles and Ellen Burkett family. 
and that was the family that he was part of at the time the photograph was taken. Any photograph prior to December 14, 1933, the day he married my grandmother, are filed under his parents, Charles and Ellen Burkett. Any photographs taken after that date, when he was married to my grandmother, are filed under the Charles and Alfreda Burkett family folder. But what about Alfreda? Now, she was Alfreda Sporin prior to her marriage, so any photographs taken prior to her wedding on December 14, 1933 are filed in the Gus and Louise Sporin family folder. She was a member of Gus Sporin's family until such time as she was married. Now, unlike the census, it doesn't really matter where she was living. There was a time when she was living on her own because she was in a nursing program. But it's more the idea that she was either Gus's daughter or she was Charles's wife. Now, that may get the backup of some feminists, but it's the simplest way to keep straight where to look for a particular photograph. And I really like to think in terms of family units because in the end, we aren't researching an individual ancestor all by themselves. Rather, we're researching an ancestor within the context of his familial relationships. And filing in this manner really keeps that at the forefront of our thinking. Besides, chances are you are going to find an ancestor in photos with their family, right? So the photos are probably going to end up in that family file anyway. Photos are filed by family under the head of the household. Both male and female ancestors are filed within their parents' folders prior to marriage and in their own family folders under the family's surname after marriage. Believe it or not, 95% of the time, this works very nicely and neatly. And yes, you may occasionally have photographs with several families in them with different surnames. Uh, Holidays are a great example of that. You know, everybody's together at Christmas. But oftentimes, these photos are actually taken at somebody's home. And in that case, I file them under the family whose home they were taken at, because everybody else is basically a guest. You can also file a copy of that same photograph under the other families as well, as if, you, if you'd like, the people that are included in that picture. I'm not trying to dictate every single possibility here, but rather, I want to give you a process and a system that works for the majority of your needs, but that is customizable based on your specific needs. So feel free to customize it a bit if you need to or you run into some unique situations. Now, you may be wondering, how does this system for photographs fit in with geotagging photographs? Now, I recently covered geotagging in a Genealogy Gems premium episode. And for more information on how to become a member, just visit my website at genealogygems.tv and click the Join Today button and you'll find everything that you need about becoming a member and then you'll get access to premium episodes. But essentially, geotagging is a way of labeling digital photographs on your computer. And there's no reason that you can't do that and still use my system. Geotagging allows you to have more information about the photograph and to quickly conduct a search for it within the Windows Explorer search box. But you still need to put the actual digital image somewhere on your hard drive, right? So you might as well use this system to file them. Then you're going to have both retrieval options. 
Well, we have covered a lot of ground on this episode, and I hope that you will give this hard drive filing system a try. Once you've got the basics set up, then try your hand at some retrieval. Look up some census documents and things that you have filed. Go to your hard drive, click on the genealogy folder, click on the surname that the record pertains to, and then click on the folder for the type of record it is. Right then and there, you're going to be able to find what you're looking for. It is that quick and easy. And it's nice because it's a very logical way of thinking about your research. And I mentioned to you that you can put other types of folders in the genealogy folder. So when you head back up to the top level to that genealogy folder, in addition to your family trees and your photographs, you can have lots of other types of general folders. You can have, you know, folders for research trips that you want to make or folders for um, articles that you have saved that you like on particular topics. And the nice thing is, no matter how many different types of general folders that you add that will hold documents and information about things that will help you in your research, it's not going to be mixed in with your family tree research documents or with your family photographs. And that is going to make life a lot simpler for years to come. Be sure and visit the show notes for an outline of all the folders that I set up in this system, just like I described it here on the podcast. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.